tomorrow, only on Disney Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tomorrow, only on Disney+. Plus. Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. Feels amazing to be back talking with you guys on another episode. I skipped last week, as you guys might have noticed or not at all. And it's actually the first week that I haven't uploaded an episode of the podcast in probably over like a year and a half. I've been very, very consistent for over a year now. I've posted every single week. And last week, I just, I couldn't. And here's why. Well, I actually really couldn't. I I could not speak. Like I could speak, but nothing came out when I tried or like not enough for it to be tolerable to hear me talk. Like I attempted to record last week. I had a whole concept in mind. I was so excited to share it with you guys. And my voice was just not cooperating. I felt super sick in the beginning of the week. It was one of those like summer colds. I got COVID tested twice. I was so nervous. It was something like that. And it wasn't just ended up being one of those like upper respiratory summer colds that happen every year. But for some reason, I feel like everyone in New York has gotten hit especially hard this year. I don't know what it is, but a lot of my friends and I have all experienced this summer cold that isn't COVID. It's just this weird upper respiratory like situation. And so I felt sick on Monday, got a bunch of tests, figured out that I didn't have COVID and like was just treating my cough and whatever with over-the-counter stuff. And then by like Wednesday, I felt totally fine. Like it took like three days then I felt great. You know, I was giving myself rest, didn't leave my house, canceled all my workouts, the whole thing. And then I was expecting like, oh, I feel great again. Like my voice should come back. And it just did not come back until Saturday morning. That is when my voice finally was like fully back. And it was really frustrating because as a content creator, all the stuff that I do during the week involves my voice, even like client phone calls, client consultations. Like I just sounded horrible. And I'm like, I'd have to tell people like, sorry, I sound worse than I feel. Like I genuinely felt fine, but my voice (laughs) said otherwise. I sounded like I'd smoked like 17 packs of cigarettes and like it was just not cute. It sounded like it hurt to talk which for the first few days it did. And then it was like, fine, I don't know. But I've never experienced losing my voice for that long. So I really, truly had to let myself rest. Like I had to, there was no other option. Like I had to rest in order to get my voice back quicker. You know, I had to follow all the remedies. I had to go get some lemons and honey and tea. And I was just chugging tea. Like I had so many glasses of tea during the day. I just like was peeing every five seconds basically. So Long story short, I feel fine now and my voice is back. But last week I I had to force myself to rest, which I I you know recall this quote. It's like if you don't choose a day to rest, your your body will choose for you. And it nine times out of ten will be a day that you you can't. You like need to be up and at them and alive. And I think my issue is recently 
I've been work hard, play hard, play harder on the weekends and haven't even had like a Sunday to relax because I'm just either I have plans on Sundays, like I like book my Sundays or I'm hungover on Sundays. And so I need to start booking days of rest into my calendar, which I'm very bad at because if I don't need to, like, you know, if I could function without, then like, why would I do that? But clearly now I know I need to rest because my body quite literally just like shut down on me last week. But you know, I made the most of it. I took care of myself, number one. And then number two, I actually caught up on all of these shows and documentaries that I've been wanting to watch and I just haven't had time. And there were moments when I felt like guilty for just vegging on my couch and like sitting there not working out. Like I felt guilty. And then I was like, wait a second, Katie. Like, okay, if you are like the time that I was sitting on my couch that I was drinking my tea, that I was, you know, going to bed at 9 p.m. and getting like enough sleep, like that was me recharging myself. It was productive. Rest is productive. I think people see rest as like being lazy because sometimes too much rest can be being lazy. But when you need to recharge, rest is not lazy. It is not selfish. It is quite literally doing what you have to do to get yourself back out there at your best. You know what I mean? And I said this analogy over on YouTube a few weeks ago, and a lot of people were like, Katie, that's the funniest thing you've ever said because it's just like so random. How did this pop into my head? I don't know. And this was actually, I said this in a dating context of like, you need to take rest moments when you're dating or when you're like burnt out from going on too many dates and you need to like chill and recharge and remind yourself your priorities and things. Like sometimes I think if you go on a bunch of dates back to back to back, you're going to end up feeling very burnt out, very overwhelmed with, or just maybe just a little too in your head. I don't know. A lot of things happen when you go on too many dates. You get this fatigue feeling. You burn out. So in a similar context, so I gave this analogy about this NASCAR race. And so when you are in need of physical rest, like literal, like you are so sick, you lose your voice like me, and you keep trying to force yourself to podcast and force yourself to make videos and like all this stuff, like it's, it's not going to work out. You need to literally give yourself time to heal. Literally. And an analogy that I came up with over on YouTube was a NASCAR race. So I watched this documentary when I was home last with my dad about this NASCAR driver. And I was amazed at how how long they're behind the wheel. It's like kind of crazy how long they're expected to drive this car in a circle, right? Like a lot of it's like kind of like a circle, the track, which I thought which I found, which I found wild. But then I thought about it because like obviously every single driver has to stop at some point. They literally have to because their car will like combust. Like you need to change the, the wheels because you literally burn the rubber off of the tires as you go. So you need to replace the wheels. Sometimes the door gets messed up. Like sometimes people have issues closing the door literally so that the door is like damaged or they hit a bend somehow and they need to have something fixed and like looked at just to make sure the car doesn't burst into flames, which happens a lot in this profession, which is very scary. It's a very dangerous career, as many of us know. But the car literally has to stop. And yes, granted, it's only for like, what, a minute or less. They like speed do it. A bunch of guys fly out and like fix the car up right away while the guy is still like in the car. But nonetheless, the car has to stop. Every single driver, every car has to stop. And it's just part of the race right? You have to stop. You have to recharge. You have to get the mechanics in there to look at the car 
it's literally mandatory, I bet, because the car otherwise will just not make it through the race. So like NASCAR cars and drivers, we too need to stop and just get things checked out every once in a while. And I feel like a lot of us forget to do that, especially when we compare ourselves to everyone on social media that seems like they have more than 24 hours in a day. It like literally feels like some influencers I follow have more than 24 hours in a day because they do so much. And I'm like, how how do you do that? Is your apartment clean? Like I <laughs> I feel like I'm just constantly cleaning my apartment. Like that is what I'm doing half the day, I feel like these days. I need, I don't know. I'm just crazy. I'm like such a perfectionist and neat freak. Anyway, so I digress. That is why I was absent last week. Now you know. Now you know you guys should all probably make a mental note to take a mental health day every once in a while because if you don't, your body will decide when to give you one. And it probably won't be cute because you'll probably be feeling gross and not have a voice and be like snotty like me. So just keep that in mind. But today's episode of the podcast I really wanted to post this last week, but it's actually quite ironic because obviously I didn't because I couldn't speak, but the podcast is actually all about rest, which is really just funny because obviously I wanted so, so hard, so wanted so hard. I wanted so badly to post this last week because I thought it was a great episode and like a really great story. I have really awesome things to share with you guys that I had no idea were a thing. And like, I learned a lot researching this and you guys are going to love it. But it's ironic that I was trying so hard to post this last week when I just really needed rest. I needed sleep. And that, my friends, is what today's episode is all about. We are talking about dreams. We are talking about sleep, what happens when you close your eyes. Because I thought I knew what happened when you sleep but I truly was wrong. (laughs) There's a lot more to it. Like, did you know dreams are hallucinations? I never thought of them this way, but it totally makes sense. By definition, dreams are hallucinations. Hallucination is defined as being a sensory experience in which a person can see, hear, smell, taste, or feel something that is not there. And dreams reflect these things, you know, things, people, places, et cetera, that aren't there really, at least in that given moment. So when you're dreaming, you're literally hallucinating. (laughs) And I've never thought of it like that. Dreams are super mysterious. They perplex even the smartest of people out there, the smartest of researchers, seeing as though many people just can't fully nail down or agree on why we dream. That was my main question that I wanted to answer in this episode. And I have a bunch of theories that I'm going to discuss with you guys, just things that these really smart researcher people out there have spent years and years and years working on and think to be true as far as why we dream. Like why, why do we have to invent these narratives in our brains, like our, or our brains invent these narratives and project them. So, you know, our eyes are seeing things that aren't there while we're sleeping. It's like a kind of a lot of work, honestly. Our brains truly just never shut off. Like from the moment we're born to the moment we die, our brains are just working full time, the whole time. Like they don't take vacation. They don't turn off. So why? Like, couldn't we just go to bed close our eyes and our brains just go on sleep mode, take a little hiatus for eight hours while we sleep? Like, why do we dream? Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Does it really like better us in any way? Why do we do it? So I have some theories I want to share with you guys today as far as why we dream. And also I have a story from history. Obviously, you guys know I love my stories. Today's story is a tale from ancient history, from ancient legend. And it's really cool. I want to get into it. I don't want to like Spoil it for you guys, but stay tuned. We have some really interesting science and history, a really lovely blend, but I promise you it will not be boring. Okay, let's get into it. So let's talk about spiders. And I'm sorry to anyone that has a fear of spiders, I guess, consider this your trigger warning now, but you would not believe the link that spiders and dreams have in the ancient world. So while many cultures consider spiders to be pests, unwanted, and creepy, the Ojibwe, an indigenous tribe, saw them in a different light as symbols of protection and comfort. According to the ancient Ojibwe legend passed on from generation to generation, a mystical and maternal spider woman was once the spiritual protector for her tribe. She specifically cared for young children, kids, babies. She had eight legs, the legend says, and resembled a spider, which, like I said, the tribe viewed to represent protection and comfort. In the early years, the spider woman could easily protect the children and babies of each tribe. But over time, as the tribes grew in number and moved to different ends of the world, spider woman couldn't protect so many people over such a large area. So she spun her webs and used these willow hoops and natural materials made from plants and created these webs of sorts to give to the people as they moved and those would protect them. And the women of the village, of each respective village, eventually were able to make their own as well to mimic Spider Woman's protective methods. So the number of points where the web connected to the hoop numbered eight for Spider Woman's eight legs, and a feather was placed in the center, which meant breath or air, which is essential for life, as we know. So the hoop surrounded the web, and it was bent in the shape of a circle to represent how the sun and the moon travels each day across the sky in a circle. 
They were meant to hang over sleeping children so Spider Woman could still protect them from afar, especially when they're most vulnerable, aka when they slept. The special hoop and web placed above the bed filtered out all bad dreams and allow only good thoughts to enter the children's minds. And if you looked closely at one of these, you would see a small hole in the center. And this was where the good dreams could enter through. And so when the first rays of sunlight hit the child's wall in the morning, the bad dreams would burn and be sent away from the child and the good dreams would enter and stay there. And so this is the story of the dream catcher, a long enduring symbol of indigenous people's culture, unity, and identification. It's a really beautiful story. I had no idea. I'm so happy that I stumbled across this when I was researching. So Dreams had been a buzz topic for centuries. Many people have thought that it's a mode of communication between the living and those who have passed on, who have gone to the other side. In ancient Egyptian times, people claimed that dreams were simply communication with deities and long-gone spirits of the dead. The Egyptians thought that dreaming of the moon was a good thing, meaning the gods are forgiving you for something. But if a man sees himself in the mirror, in a dream, it's a bad sign that means he will have to find another wife. <laughs> okay, that's a little weird. But all these years later, do we modern beings have any idea where dreams really come from? Like, really, have we made much headway? And do we know why they can often be so weird and impractical, just not make sense a lot of the time? Well, allow me to chat with you guys about what I dug up on dreams, the what, the why, and the how. So when you're awake, your thoughts contain logic for the most part, I guess. Not always, but <laughs> you hope. One would hope that your thoughts would contain some sort of logic, even if it's twisted logic, when you're awake. But when you sleep, your brain, as I've mentioned, is still active. Your brain never shuts off. It's still working. It generates these hallucinations based mostly on not logic, but emotion, emotion over logic. So the emotional centers of the brain trigger dreams rather than the logical regions, which is why dreams can sometimes just not make sense. Dreams prove that our brain even while disconnected, can create by itself an entire world of seemingly conscious experiences motivated by the imagination. According to a 2010 study I found, which was conducted by the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Wisconsin, the most striking feature of the experiences that unfold in dreams is how altogether similar the inner world of dreams is to the world of wakefulness. So it's similar, but not the same, obviously. At times when you're dreaming, you might not even know that you're dreaming. Like you don't know that you're asleep or you're awake. Like you don't know the difference. I will say sometimes like I feel like maybe it's like right when I'm about to wake up, I'm like in the dream and my dream self is like, wait, this is, this is a dream. Like this is not real. Like I Towards the end of the dream, I'm like, wait, I feel like I'm in a dream right now. Like, does anyone else experience that? But a lot of times I do agree with this. Like, I do, you know, I'm in my dream world and I like don't, I genuinely think it's real life. Like, it feels so real. So, backing things up, it has been a very long time 
since I've thought about studying, okay, like in any way, shape, or form, but I've been watching this new show on Netflix. It's season two of this new show, or it's a new show, new season of an older show. Older as in like a year or two years ago, whatever. I digress. It's called Never Have I Ever. It is so good. I watched season one like relatively recently, like I guess like maybe like four months ago, and season two is out now, so I watched it over the past week when I was under the weather. And I've been reminded from this show of my biggest fears from high school, AKA test taking, memorizing terms, et cetera. Like I remember spending hours upon hours and hours and hours studying note cards. And I'm just thinking like, I wonder how many of these things I learned in high school and was tested on. I actually remember to this day, specifically in like chemistry, like how many of those skills or things that I learned, like chemistry terms, am I using to this day? Like none, zero. But anyway, so in high school and also in college, I was constantly learning new things. I even do so to this day with the podcast, I'm always learning things. And so from my research on dreams, I learned another new thing about learning new things. Like I literally learned something about learning. Did you know whenever we learn something new, whenever we pick up a new skill, modify our habits in some way, the physical structure of our brains literally change. So recently I've been working out like more than I ever have. I've been learning new ways to like use weights. I've learned how to not hurt myself when lifting. Like just this whole new territory has been opened up because I've never done weightlifting before. So like my my brain has quite literally changed in the process of me learning these things. As we learn new things, like in any any way, shape or form, we learn how to cook something different. I don't know. We learn how to be loved in a way we've never been loved before. The cells that send and receive information about the task become more and more efficient as we learn, we practice, we put things into practice more, we do it more and more and more. We've like known this for a while. If you do things, if you do something many, many times, you ultimately get better and, you know, it becomes easier for you, et cetera. So it takes less effort for those cells that are sending and receiving information to signal the next cell about what's going on as we learn. And because of this, the need for less energy in this communication system allows the cells to multitask, to daydream about other things. And this totally makes sense. You know, if the cells are sending and receiving this information all day, every day, and you're becoming better, you're learning, you're reinforcing it, like they exert less energy. So they have time to kind of like dilly dally, right? So they can daydream about other things. They can plan. So for example, a pianist, who has practiced their music a million, million times, like this one, this one, what do you call it? Like set or set of notes. I don't know. Like when you do this a million times, it becomes second nature. You can do it with your eyes closed, that sort of thing. Like, you know, their hands can still play the notes while their brains are thinking about the next notes or the next song even. So it becomes easier for them. I learned this from an article by the science author, Alison Pierce Stevens, which I'll have linked. So the field of neuroscience calls this concept of the brain physically changing when you learn new things, brain plasticity, referring to the ability of the brain, like plastic, to assume new shapes and hold them. So what does a plastic moldable brain have to do with dreams? Well, the first thing to keep in mind is even as we age and we're not in school anymore, 
you know, we're still learning every single day, even if it's just like, I don't like mustard on this type of sandwich or, you know, we learn things every day. So when we go to sleep, obviously our brains, like I said, they don't shut down overnight. So sleeping actually is vital for just reinforcing the things that you're learning throughout the day, even those like mundane, like very simple things. Because when we sleep, our brains store memories and new information from the previous day. So a bad night's sleep could impact that. And the cells that are involved in learning new information, so this plastic notion, are most likely to, this is kind of crazy, fire in reverse during sleep. And I'll have this article linked so you guys can read the full thing. There's a whole breakdown if you guys are interested in neuroscience. But basically, the cells work in reverse so that when you are conscious, like the next day when you're awake, the cells, like everything's wired more tightly to each other and you ultimately retain more information because while you sleep, the cells are kind of replaying everything from the day multiple times over and like really, really going through it literally back to front. So if you don't get a full adequate night's sleep, your your cells are not going to do this fully and that therefore you will retain less information. You will have less of a memory of it when you wake up, which is really interesting. So all those years that I spent in college and high school cramming before tests and not getting enough sleep, like no wonder I didn't like I cramming did work, I think just to ace the test, but I wouldn't retain any of the information because I literally was just like quickly learning things that I probably should have learned over weeks and weeks and weeks, but I was too busy partying and going to sorority functions and not studying for tests. But really interesting concept. So our brains do so much more for us than I ever thought while we sleep. Like I figured it just was like kind of there on sleep mode, doing its thing, like maybe playing some random dreams, but like it does a whole lot more. It literally protects us as we sleep. Going back to that evolutionary, like, you know, humans in the caves scenario. So the brain, while we sleep, preserves the territory of the visual cortex, aka the processor of visual information that we see with our eyes. So during the day, our eyes are you know, quite literally taking in the sites around us, making decisions based on those sites and potential threats, things like that. So while we sleep, our brain preserves this. It keeps our visual cortex running at night, which is, as we know, maybe know, maybe don't know, rapid eye movement, aka REM and REM sleep. So the time during sleep where our eyes are rapidly moving is REM sleep, also is, drumroll please, the stage of sleep during which we are most likely to dream. So (laughs) break this down further. What I thought prior to researching, I thought that REM sleep happened all night. It does not. Um, Your sleep goes in cycles, which we'll get into. So in the timepiece that I'll have linked, they lay out this theory called defensive activation theory, which says that dream sleep, so the sleep that we get during REM, exists to keep neurons in the visual cortex active and ready to go, thereby combating a takeover from neighboring senses. So as we know, our other senses like smell, taste, touch are almost totally silenced while our eyes and our brains take over while we sleep. The other senses just like aren't as important, I guess, while you sleep. You need to be able to see perceived danger, things like that, potential danger with your eyes. I mean, even if it's dark, 
our eyes adjust. You know, you've, I've done this numerous times when I need to get up and get a glass of water in the middle of the night. And I like wait for my eyes to adjust really quick before I like stand up and potentially fall over something because yeah, our eyes like humans, we've adapted or yeah, adapted, but also adopted survival techniques. And one of those being our eyes adjusting to light, adjusting to lack of light to be able to see things in the dark. Like, I think it's pretty crazy that we can like see in the dark to some extent. Like, obviously I still reach for my flashlight a lot of the times, but you can kind of see, like make out shapes in the dark if you give your eyes a second to adjust. So anyway, digging deeper into REM sleep and what happens during REM sleep. Like I said, REM sleep isn't meant to consume your entire night of sleep. During the night, you cycle through two different phases or types of sleep rather, non-rapid eye movement, so non-REM sleep, and then also rapid eye movement sleep. So breaking it down further, non-REM sleep happens first when you first fall asleep and includes three stages. And the last stage of non-REM sleep is when you sleep super deeply. So it goes through three different like phases of non-REM. And that very last like third phase is when you are your deepest in slumber So it's really hard to wake up from this stage of sleep. So if you take like a 45 minute long nap and you have a really hard time waking up, which like I've done this before, I believe it's because you haven't quite hit REM, but you're just about to get there. Like you're almost there, but you choose to like wake yourself up at that point. And that's why it's really hard to wake up when your alarm goes off at like after like 45 minute nap. So REM sleep happens about an hour to an hour and a half after falling asleep. And this is the period when you tend to have super vivid dreams. So an hour to an hour and a half after falling asleep. And it continues to hit you in waves about every 90 minutes. So you go in and out. Two pretty surprising things that happen to you while you're in REM sleep that I discovered from researching. Number one, you lose muscle tone. So you don't like act out in your dreams and hurt yourself which makes sense because some people have very vivid dreams where they like feel like they're fighting someone or like, yeah. And I honestly have had experiences when I've like slept with my sister in bed. My sister is a kicker in the sleep, like in the sleep, in the night, she like will kick you in her sleep. And I think I've probably done that before too. Like she like moves, but it's crazy because she, she kicks pretty hard in her sleep. And yet I guess in REM you lose muscle tone. So maybe that's in the first hour, hour and a half she's been kicking me, but So that's one thing that happens when you're in REM sleep. The second thing, and I want to say again, when you're in REM sleep, you're not in REM sleep the whole night. So you drift in and out. Number two, second thing that I learned when you're in REM sleep, you can't regulate temperature by sweating or shivering. So your body temperature basically just drifts towards the temperature of the room. So yeah, your body like just can't regulate temperature when you're in REM, which is really interesting. So another question that I had based on all of these things that our body does when we're not conscious, like sending signals, like telling ourselves to do things like, you know, us telling like, oh, I want my arm to raise now. Like, you know, those signals like are still happening somehow, but we're not like awake to consciously do them. So like, how does it happen? How do we rapidly open and close our eyes when we aren't physically awake to blink? like to tell our bodies to blink. Like why does this, how does it happen? How do our bodies just know what to do? So this kind of takes us back to those neurons we were discussing before. I found out that REM sleep is triggered by a specialized set of these neurons 
that activate the brain's visual cortex, which like I said, is the processor of visual information, aka what we see with with our eyes. And this causes us to experience vision and see even though our eyes are closed. So it's that specialized set of neurons that kicks things into gear and activates the brain's visual cortex. So in the theory that evolution and protection are the reason why our brain continues working while we're sleeping, like the cave mentality of like, we need to be able to jump into action, you know? The reason is this, dreams are primarily visual, precisely because this is the only sense that is hindered when we close our eyes to go to bed. like. You know, you think realistically, as we're falling asleep, you know, we close our eyes, but we can still hear things. We can still feel things. We can still smell things, whatever. But when you are like drifting off, your eyes are shut down. So our bodies need to compensate for that. Our bodies are incredible at self-regulating, knowing when something is depleted and it needs to compensate. It needs to find something to replace it. Like we are constantly trying to level ourselves to make ourselves you know, survive. We're trying to keep ourselves alive. Literally, our bodies are trying to keep us alive even as we sleep. So obviously back in the day, like before lights, like electricity was a thing, it was much harder to light a match. You know, if there's like a a threat, something in in the darkness that you can't see and you need to wake up and see something and fight off whatever it is, like reaching for two stones and making a fire and lighting a candle or whatever takes a lot of time. You could be dead before that happens. So like, obviously our senses are hindered. Like we can't see in the dark when we're waking up from our sleep. We can't, you know, in those old times, we couldn't see as readily as easily, which is why, you know, when it's dark, you can still hear, you can still smell, you can still touch, but your sense of sight is literally gone. So your body needs to self-regulate and make up for that. Hence, rapid eye movement when you sleep, keeping your senses going, keeping your eyes going, I mean, and also the fact that our eyes can adjust in darkness. Like we can adjust. Many animals, as we know, have like night vision senses, which I don't feel, maybe humans used to have like crazy night vision and because we just don't need it anymore, we haven't, you know, continuously passed that on. But yeah, so our human bodies have so much elasticity. We really try to self-regulate in so many areas, to heal ourselves, to preserve ourselves. It's actually so remarkable how our bodies work so hard day and night to keep us alive, even if we aren't conscious that our bodies are doing it. Like when we get a scraped knee and our body immediately kicks into gear, producing a scab and like eventually new skin on top. It's kind of crazy when you think about how our bodies are just constantly healed, like we are healing ourselves. It really does make you think and kind of make you feel grateful, especially when you are healthy. You know, like I was sick last week and I just gave myself rest and gave my body the things that it needed, the nutrients that were depleted, things like that, hydration, but my body took care of the rest. And obviously some bodies are better at healing than others. Like obviously people have conditions and things where their bodies can't heal them. And it just makes me feel so grateful for my own health. Like seriously, we should all stop and think about how grateful we are that our bodies, a lot of us, our bodies are able to heal us. Anyway, so when we are asleep, our bodies keep our brains going, creating visuals when there are none in the form of dreams. So not everyone remembers their dreams, but researchers believe that everyone has about three to six dreams in a night. 
and that each dream lasts between five and 20 minutes. So I discussed the first potential reason for dreams earlier, which was evolutionary based on protection. But here is another potential reason that neuro researchers have cited. So some suggest that dreaming and the reason for it is to keep things organized. Dreaming could potentially be the ultimate vacuum, sucking up useless memories from the previous day, deleting them forever, and enter important ones into long-term storage. So like I said earlier, the memories are being replayed backwards, forwards, upside down. So your brain is really like reinforcing them. The neurons are becoming closely linked and you remember things easier when you sleep more. So dreams could potentially also, you know, suck up those useless memories that you don't need to remember. Those like little details from the day that you just don't, that that your brain decides aren't important and gets rid of them. So the important ones may replay like a highlight or a low light reel in your head so you don't forget them. But, you know, the faces, the the places, the situations, you know, these these things for some reason your brain wants to hold on to, but piece together with unrelated things. That's a dream. So this brings us to our next question. Why and how do our brains invent these false scenarios, piecing together all of these faces, places and situations that for some reason our brain wants to keep in there? like? Literally, you see one face on the street and somehow like they end up in your dream because your brain can't invent faces and invent things like that. Like it needs to pull from memory somehow. So sometimes I'll like literally have a person in my dream and I'm like, who was that? Like clearly I I know them, but I don't know them. So why? Why does our brain take all these things, decide which ones are important? And once it does that, why does it create these false stories, these scenarios, these strange and practical situations that never actually happened in real life and likely will not happen, but might happen, who knows, but they haven't actually happened to date. So this brings us to the third theory that there is for why we dream. So this is similar, kind of takes us back to the ancestor theory of like, laying in a dark cave, needing our eyes to rapidly blink so we are ready to go when a potential threat is presented. So dreams, there's another reason why dreams could be a way that our body is self-preserving, kind of protecting ourselves. The other way or the other theory as to why our brains use dreams to protect us is because in dreaming, in coming up with these fake scenarios that could happen, our brain is prepping us for the future, imagining scenarios that haven't actually happened, but with people that we have seen in places we have been before. So it's kind of putting us in this place where we could kind of take a trial run, right? Like experience the situation before it actually could happen in real life. So it's kind of like letting us, giving us a taste of this potential situation that could be presented to us down the road and seeing what we will do to like react. Like how will we navigate this scenario, which is what our dream self ends up doing, right? So our dreams are kind of like a test route. Our brain's throwing us into somewhat plausible scenarios. So it's like daydreaming you know, about a boy you had a crush on in middle school, you imagine what could happen or what would happen in your dream world. Like he would bring you flowers. He would ask you to the dance. Or if you're happy in a relationship, you prepare for the absolute worst in your dream world, like in your daydream world. Daydreaming being your conscious dreaming, obviously, because when you daydream, 
you are conscious. When you dream dream, you are not totally conscious, obviously. But if you're daydreaming about this like relationship you're in, you sometimes prepare yourself for the worst. You let your brain go down that rabbit hole of like what happens if they cheat on me or whatever. So daydreaming, night dreaming, it's you having one foot in the future and one foot in the past. You are straddling the present. From researching, I found that there really isn't definitive proof that dreams can truly mean something, which is interesting can predict something or even definitely say a lot about the person dreaming them. They can be totally random, totally random and not mean anything. But I believe in my core that dreams aren't totally random. I think that maybe a small like little sliver of each dream we have can point to emotions that we bury deep. We don't want to feel or things that we don't even know that we feel or won't admit that we feel. I found some common dreams that I've experienced myself and some experts' thoughts on why we may dream them. So the first, dreaming of falling. (laughs) This is something when I asked on Instagram for you guys to give me questions and like things you want me to focus on, people were like, why do I dream that I'm falling all the time? So I have this all the time. I have like this Alice in Wonderland style dream of falling down a hole and like, falling for like the whole dream. And I'm just like falling, falling, falling. So dreaming of falling is apparently very, very common. And Russell Grant, author of the Illustrated Dream Dictionary, says that dreaming of falling is a symbol of fear in real life, potentially of failing at work or in your love life. Falling often expresses a need to let yourself go more and enjoy life more. So let yourself go, basically. So falling is a very popular dream. I'm going to keep this in mind, I guess. I mean, I have an intense fear of failure like all the time. So I feel like that makes sense. So aside from falling, I also have this recurring nightmare of being chased either by like a dark figure or like a rabid dog. And the worst, the worst is when I'm in the ocean in my dream and a shark is chasing me. I have this like crazy fear of sharks. Tony Crisp, author of Dream Dictionary, suggests that being chased in a dream might indicate a desire to escape from your own fears or desires. Interesting. Well, these are my two like most recurring nightmares. So lovely. I have a, a fear of failing and I have a desire to escape from my fear. So fear is basically ruling my life. Awesome. Okay, so according to the same guy, Tony Crisp, so author of Dream Dictionary, being chased by an animal specifically might indicate that you are hiding from your own anger, passions, and other feelings. And if your pursuer is a mysterious unknown figure, which happens to me a lot, it's like a dark figure, it might represent a childhood experience or past trauma. If you're being chased by someone of the opposite sex, it might mean you are afraid of love or haunted by a past relationship. Great. So if you're just being chased by someone in general, there's all these different, like who, who is chasing you? Because then that will tell a different story depending. Okay. So another uh, recurring dream that a lot of people have Have you ever dreamt of being naked? Sometimes in the past, I've dreamt that I like showed up to work or something and I forgot to put a shirt on or like school, like I'd forget to put a shirt on and realize that I like once I got there that I like forgot 
to wear a shirt. Like I've had that happen to me before. So Penny Pierce, author of The Dream Dictionary for Dummies, says that dreaming of public nudity might indicate that you feel like a phony or that you're afraid of revealing your imperfections and shortcomings, which in my corporate job, that was definitely, that hits the nail right on the head. I definitely felt that way. So interesting. Okay. So I'm going to discuss two more common dreams. Next one, dream of flying, which could be a good dream or a bad dream depending on the person. So according to Tony Crisp, that author I discussed earlier, dreams about flying often represent two totally different sides. On one hand, these dreams could represent feelings of freedom and independence. But on the other hand, they can also indicate a desire to flee or escape from the realities of life. So I guess like, are you flying and you're happy about it? Or are you flying and you're scared? Because they mean two different things. Okay, lastly, this is one that I have all the time. It's a pregnancy dream. Okay, so I'm constantly having dreams about being pregnant. I don't know why. Like, what on earth does that mean? Tony thinks that pregnancy dreams indicate that the dreamer is developing some area of potential or deepening of relationship. Dream interpreter Russell Grant writes that these dreams warn difficult times are coming. <laughs> awesome. Love to hear that. Also, I'm like definitely not deepening any relationships right now. So I feel like it has to be difficult times. I don't know. I feel like I dream of pregnancy like right before I get my period, which might just be like a girl thing, right? Like we're preparing for like our, our bodies know it's time. I don't know because pregnancy is like the opposite of getting your period, right? So anyway, I have a lot of questions when it comes to dreams, obviously, as you guys can tell from this episode, but I have a million more. So I feel like I need to do like a follow-up for this or like another another episode about dreams, but like in a different sense because there's so much to them, like seriously so much more than I ever thought. And I think I need to like start keeping a dream journal next to my bed and writing down my dreams because I I definitely dream, like I know I do. And I tend to really only remember the bad ones, but I'm sure I have a lot of like good ones throughout the night that I need to just start writing down. I don't know. Do you guys have dream journals? Let me know in your, uh, in the DMs and let me know your craziest dream. I'm always intrigued to hear the dreams. I love when you guys DM me saying that I'm in your dreams. Like that just cracks me up in the best way. Like I hope I'm a good character in your dreams. Hope I'm not the one chasing you, right? <laughs> Okay. Anyway, guys, that is it for this episode of Thick and Thin. Thank you so much for listening. Sorry about the hiatus, but I'm not that sorry because I feel so much better now that I took a week off. So yeah, I am back better than ever. I am recharged. Thank you guys for listening and I will talk to you guys all next week. Bye. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu.